The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. They do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. The things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel, the Lord. It's almost a cliche here in southern Marin that religion is a dirty word, right? Maybe it ought to be, because for many of our neighbors, the experience of religion has been about rigidity and rules and sometimes even oppression and verbal, if not physical, violence in the name of God. Religious institutions and religious history is littered with such things. And so we are brought by today's collect into a fundamental question, or as our legal sisters and brothers would say, a question that is begged, increase in us true religion. Well, what is true religion? For those of you who know me a little bit and know the fact that I attended secretarial duties on behalf of diocesan convention, I spend a lot of time with lawyers and a lot of time parsing words and language. We're just coming to the end of a cycle of reviewing resolutions for our convention this autumn. Most years, we're fortunate to get five or six submissions. This year, we had 11. So there have been a lot of meetings by Zoom and a lot of emails going back and forth, sometimes over the finer points of canon law and what's good for the church at this time and in this place. 
and whether a policy works or doesn't work. And as usual in body politic, it's about whose ox is getting gored and who's going to pay what for this policy or that policy. And how are we going to justify it? And what is the argument going to be like on the floor? You know, the list goes on and on and on. For those of you who served on the vestry, you know, we get into these conversations too, right? This is part of governance. This is part of moving forward with the church. And it's very easy in those conversations to lose the forest for the trees, to get lost in the details, to forget what we are really about. And so we have to remind ourselves the beginning of each of these meetings with prayer, sometimes a little bit of friendly rebuke. Sometimes the elbows even get just a little bit on the sharp side. That's life in the legal realm of things, no matter where you are. Laws are good, right? They form the basis of civilization. Without them, it's just a jungle out there, and we are subject to all kinds of violence and suffering. So having laws is a bedrock piece of what it means to put together a society and a community And at their best, they help regulate human behavior so that we can live peaceably with one another. But we also know that the law is in constant need of reform and review and reinterpretation. Laws are not fixed, even though we have this tradition about them being chiseled on stone. Remember that? They are not fixed. They are constantly being renewed in our interpretation and in our living out of them. And, of course, in our society, through the process, the meat grinder, some might say, of democratic review and debate. Our Jewish spiritual ancestors ultimately decided a couple of hundred years after Jesus that that form of debate and discourse about sacred law, the law that they had inherited from that ancient tradition going all the way back to Moses, that that debate was enshrined as part of the work of community and the body. I think it could be argued that is at the very basis of what came to be known as the rabbinical tradition. So there are jokes in the Jewish community that go something like this. Wherever two or more Jews are gathered, there are at least three opinions, right? You know? And it is also the form of discourse in looking at scripture for at least two Jews to get together and sit down with the sacred text and debate and argue about it. And in fact, in the rabbinical tradition, there are books and books and books of these arguments that go back to ancient times, and the foundation is known as the Talmud. And it is not a consistent text. Deliberately. It's meant to draw you into the arguments and debates about interpretation. And from that comes an ongoing life with God. The Jews have a term for that, 
which I think is also useful for us because it also goes back to the foundation of our scriptural tradition. It's called halakha, that is, how we walk in faith. How we walk in faith. And that is where, for our Jewish sisters and brothers, true religion begins. And maybe the same can be said for us as Christians as well. We have that ancient text today from Deuteronomy, a foundational text again from Torah or the teaching, the core of our ancient faith rooted in ancient Judaism where again we are at the threshold of the promised land and Moses is reminding the people of God that they are to keep what they, are to, they have received. Not just because it creates a society and it keeps people safe and it's a way of regulating human behavior, but because it gives them an identity, a distinct identity the ones who keep these ordinances will be known as God's people, he is reminding them. But there are a few zingers in the text that impact the other texts that we hear from today. One of them, if you caught it, was that little aside about don't take anything away from these commandments and don't add anything to these commandments. Did you catch that? Daniel Boyarin, who is a rabbinical scholar here in the Bay Area and has looked closely at early Christian texts, including the Gospel of Mark, argues that that probably is a principle at work in the debate that Jesus is having with the Pharisees in today's text. Jesus is a Jew of the north from Galilee. And he is confronted by the keepers and religious authorities of the south, by and large, of Judea, who are connected with the temple and all of its ritual and its institutional piety, as well as the practices on the ground that are considered to be faithful. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees are not conservators of the law. They are, in fact, innovators. And a couple of centuries prior to Jesus, we know there developed this oral tradition of rules and regulations about how to keep vessels and keep ritual purity that was passed on from one generation to another through teachers. The teaching of the elders is how it's referenced today. Jesus may have been raised in a different tradition that focused squarely on Torah, the very core and he may be remembering this passage from Deuteronomy, and he is offended by the way in which the Pharisees are inflicting the oral tradition on people who may not be able to keep them, especially his friends and followers who are out on the dusty road and may not have access to all of the waters and the things they need to keep ritually pure as they move through life proclaim the gospel that he has given them. So at that level, Boyarin argues that we have a Jewish versus Jewish debate going.
going on in today's passage from Mark. Jesus is reminding his challengers from the south that there are more things important than how we keep the vessels clean, how we wash ourselves. But then we also know that Mark was written in the latter half of the first century, and one of the big clues to us is that parenthetical passage in the gospel today, which you might see if you look at it. The original Greek doesn't have parentheses, by the way, so our English translators added them just to help us out a little bit. But you, you hear that point, right, that this is, this, is, this is what happens in the Jewish community. There's a lot of attending to washing of vessels and hands and all of that, right? Was that written for Jewish ears? No. <laughs> they know themselves perfectly well. That was written for a Gentile audience. Probably Mark's first audience. Maybe living in Antioch in the latter half of the first century where there was already a struggle going on for the future of the tradition. And there was a question that was already at least two generations old, and that is how much of the law do the Gentiles have to take on in order to be considered Christian? How much of the Jewish law do the Gentiles need to take on? Mark lifts up Jesus' teaching to remember in that debate not to lose the forest for the trees. Jesus says, you can focus on all the externals that you like, because we like to do that. It's easy. It's tangible. We can reach out and touch it. We can say that's clean, that's dirty, that needs another round in the dishwasher. This one is good enough to use. The silver over there has been polished well enough, but that I'm going to take home and polish it. Some of us have been doing that the past couple of weeks. Thank you very much. But Jesus says, remember what this is all for. How to live with our neighbors. and How to attend to the devices and desires of our own hearts. and To learn to live out of those with compassion and true justice. That, he says, is where true purity resides not in the externals. And if we divorce or divide the two, we are risking getting lost. So what is true religion? We have the letter of James before us today. A text, I hasten to add, I invite you to read at home. You can find it online, pull it up, sit down, read it. It is a text, we might say, that is halakha. It's about how to walk faithfully with Christ. And it's practical. James doesn't bat around the bush. He gets right to the point. He talks about the dangers of speech in community how we have to watch what we say because what we say matters and can hurt as well as heal. More than that, as he points out today, what we do is very, very important. 
He says, true religion is about attending to the needs of widows and orphans, remaining unstained by the world. In the time this was written, in Greco-Roman society and also in Jewish society, to be a widow or an orphan was to be cut off from the protection and the means that a patriarch, paterfamilias, would be able to offer. That means that widows and orphans in the society in which this was written were the most vulnerable people around. And so a primary religious obligation of the Christian community, James is saying, is to attend those who are most in need, who are most vulnerable, who are most at risk, full stop. And to set aside all the things that the world hunkers after, right? The greed, the idolatry, the tendency to focus on self, the unholy trinity, as Jerry reminds us of me, myself, and I, right? Remember that? To think of others before ourselves. To put God and neighbor first, as Jesus teaches us. Spiritual author Richard Rohr reminds us that the word religion at its root means to bind back together. It's not about institutions at the end of the day. It's not even about ritual by itself. It's not about all the rules that we keep and argue over, and it's certainly not about oppression. It is about bringing the body back together, the people, and these days, all of creation. Wherever we are in the business of doing that, we are practicing true religion. The reconciling of all things. The remembering, another word that we like to use a lot in our tradition, of bringing the body back together, putting the pieces back, rebuilding the body, as we call it, of Christ. And being broken open, having our hearts broken open by what we see around us in the world, so that we may offer our hands for that healing work. That is what we are called to. And it's hard work, but it's critically important. Let us not lose the forest, for the trees. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. 
We hope to greet you in person very soon.